You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here for Judicial Watch on social media. Thanks for joining us. A lot to talk about today. Finally, the public show trial hearings targeting President Trump. I'll give you all the details. I'll give you my feedback on this and what I expect will happen. We have yet more documents on the Clinton email scandal documenting the FBI cover-up. And Judicial Watch has a big new lawsuit targeting the international deep state, which kind of fits in with what we're talking about with the Ukrainian uh, scam that we're now suffering through thanks to uh, the coup cabal. And I'll begin with the impeachment. This is a coup. It is lawless. It is unconstitutional. It ignores the due process rights of the president of the United States. They are wiring it to try to achieve the desired result. They don't care about the evidence. There is no evidence. And despite all the cheating, despite all the corruption, the Kukabal, in my view, seems to be losing. They had these public hearings, you may recall, not because they planned on it, not because they wanted to. It's because of pushback from you, the American people, and leadership from groups like Judicial Watch, the President of the United States, and insistent members of Congress who demanded more transparency and at least the modicum of a process that echoes the core themes of fairness, due process, and constitutionality that Americans expect in the awesome power to impeach and remove a president of the United States. So as a feint in that regard, they started releasing transcripts, although we still don't have all the transcripts. And they did these public hearings because I'm convinced they never wanted to do the public hearings. They wanted to do these secret testimonies and then uh, tie it all up in a bow like the fraudulent whistleblower complaint they used and hand it off to the House Judiciary Committee that would have done a scam hearing or two and then pushed it out on, uh, to, to the full House to get impeachment. But that has collapsed. So they had to go through these public hearings because evidently they weren't getting the support they could thought they would have from even Democrats in the Hill to go straight to impeachment. So the impeachment hearings, the coup cabal hearings, the show trial has confirmed there's nothing there. There's no evidence of misconduct by President Trump, let alone the type of misconduct that would lead to the removal of him from office. There's no basis for impeachment. In fact, as we've been talking about uh, repeatedly on our weekly updates here and on, on media, is it's the gossip girl impeachment. It's bureaucrats complaining about the president, hearing rumors and, and second and third and fourth hand information about what the president's policies were, being worried about them. And only in Washington could the corrupt media allow and our, and our corrupted institutions allow what is essentially water cooler gossip to rise to the level of impeachment evidence against the sitting president. I want you to think about your workplaces. And when you sit around with your colleagues during break times and other parts of the day, when you're kvetching about the boss, do you think that ought to be the basis for firing your leadership in your company? Of course not. And especially in Washington, D.C., it is part of the job to complain about your supervisors and certainly the president. That's what these bureaucrats do for a living. 
in fact, and frankly think, I think, look, we have a lot of experience dealing with government bureaucrats at Judicial Watch. My experience is they spend a good time of their, put part of their day complaining about work. <laughs> and so the higher up it is, you think it gets less? Oh no, it gets more. And uh, in this case, you had the Ambassador Taylor and, um, uh, I forget his title, but the Mr. Kent, testify uh, the other day to what I don't know. They were concerned about a uh, possibility that the uh, policy that they wanted to pursue on Ukraine wasn't being pursued by the President of the United States. Again, you have to go back, look at the transcript, as the President says. And he's just released the second transcript, which was also, quote, perfect by any reasonable measure. He was rightly concerned about corruption, and his underlings were figuring out ways to implement his concerns. And has they, has they thought about what they could do to get the Ukrainians to keep their promises on combating corruption and easing what is U.S. policy? Easing concerns about what is, uh, easing, easing concerns, which is behind all U.S. policy and foreign aid, that we don't give money to corrupt politicians. And of course, you know, you raise issues like that in the State Department, they go crazy. Their job, they see it is, and too often, to advocate for the recipients of U.S. taxpayer dollars as opposed to taxpayers who actually spend the money. So there was a 55-day pause, as now we now know, as they figured out what to do and how to implement the president's agenda. And you had the absurd idea, you had the absurdity of Ambassador Taylor talking about someone who just told him last week. So months of this going on, and this guy just comes forward. And I, I'm, forgive me if I can't track how far away he is from the original alleged conversation. Someone told him that someone overheard someone else talking to the president on a cell phone. And the president allegedly said he wanted to know about the investigations. Well, A, is that a problem? But B, talk about incredible testimony. Not to say that Ambassador Taylor is lying about the nature of what he was told, but how is that evidence in any traditional sense of the word? How is that impeachable? Why on earth are we going through this? I mean, I understand the politics of it, but this is our Constitution that's at stake. Our Republic is at stake. The politicians running this, Pelosi, Schiff, they want to remove the President of the United States, or at least they're pretending to want to remove him. And then today we had Ambassador Yovanovitch. I think that's how she pronounces, uh, you pronounce her name who was recalled by the President of the United States, which is his right as President. And she didn't like that, quite understandably. But she has no evidence about the phone call, no evidence about the aid. She wasn't around. So in terms of the Gossip Girl impeachment, she doesn't even have any gossip to relate.
And as part of the permanent bureaucracy in the State Department, she didn't like Rudy Giuliani daring to come around knocking on doors asking why isn't anyone investigating all this Ukraine corruption in front of everybody. She says the president, she was told the president lost confidence in her. I tell you, for all, the, all of the uh, pretend concern about her, it's pretty clear there was good reason for the president to have lost confidence in her because she highlights the fact that she is anti-corruption and that's the goal of U.S. policy. But when asked about the specific issues of Ukraine interfering in our elections, the connections with Burisma, she was uninterested, defensive, and full of excuses for the conduct at issue. And what was the conduct at issue? You had a Ukraine state entity releasing uh, uh, material uh, on Paul Manafort and his connections to Ukrainian political parties, obviously in a way to impact the election. It led to Manafort's indictment in part. You had the Ukrainian embassy working with Alexander Trulupra, who was a DNC consultant, to dig up dirt on Trump, or try to. And then I think you had the title, I think he, I think he was the ambassador from Ukraine, right an op-ed attacking President Trump. The Ukrainians knew what they did. They were worried about how the new newly elected president would react to their interference in the campaign. But our ambassador to Ukraine, oh, she didn't seem any terribly, she didn't think any of it was terribly important. And I've got questions about her conduct as well. One of the uh, Ukrainians said that uh, one of the, pro I guess the former prosecutor said, the corrupt prosecutor were led to believe, he said that uh, she showed up with a list in, an, in a meeting and said you can't be investigating these people. And one of them that they didn't want to have investigated was uh, connected to the Soros Foundation. It was a Soros front group in Ukraine, also funded by the U.S. government, which is just the typical process under the Obama administration. You have a lot of these foreign entities who are leftists in orientation, antithetical to the sorts of policies many Americans would want, that are being jointly funded by the U.S. State Department and the Soros operations. Now, George Soros has, I guess, rights under the law to do this activity, but he's got a political agenda. And do you think these organizations don't reflect his agenda, which is far, far to the left of the mainstream here in the United States? Do you think that your tax dollars should be supporting George Soros' philanthropic concerns? Do you think that George Soros, as we've uncovered, uh, his people should be allowed to help the State Department decide who to give money to, your money? I don't. So she says, oh, that's a smear. I never gave him a list. Well, you know what? He, he, this gentleman clarified to the New York Times, so don't believe me, go to the New York Times, and you'll see the story. And he says, well, you know, maybe he shouldn't give me a list. I think there was an issue with the translation. I'm not recanting that she didn't push me to, at least orally, to stop investigating these people. Isn't that interesting? So the anti-corruption ambassador goes there and um, to Ukraine and says, you know, stay away from our people. Does that sound appropriate to you? Doesn't to me. And they, I don't think they asked her. I watched the hearing today, mostly, uh, but sometimes business intrudes. 
uh, and I don't think they asked her about this, but they asked her during her deposition. You may recall that Judicial Watch uncovered information that the State Department here in Washington, D.C. had to intervene and tell Ambassador Yovanovitch's embassy staff to stop monitoring U.S. citizens because it was a violation of the law. And we have cooperation that took place in the sense that Judicial Watch had first reported that she had directed a list of specific people be reported, uh, investigated, or monitored. Their social media. And uh, the, when they sought additional resources, because it was such a big job, from the Washington, State, the Washington headquarters, the State Department, someone there said, hold on a second, you can't be doing it. Stop. It's a violation of the law. So she was asked about that. She said she didn't really know about any legal issues. She didn't have a specific list in mind, she said. Uh, but that's why we're asking for the documents to see whether she's telling the truth. But she confirmed that there was this monitoring going on. And it's pretty clear from this testimony today, and it's pretty clear from her testimony in private and secret, that uh, she had every reason, or I don't think a good reason, you could see what the motives were for it, because she knew that there was this effort to confront her and to hold her accountable as the ambassador to U.S. representative. And so what was the list that she, uh, or at least her staff, in the least, had to, uh, started monitoring? It was a list of, and I'm going to read it again because the media won't tell you about it. She was asked specifically about these people. Jack Posobiec, who works with One America News Now, Donald Trump Jr., the son of the President of the United States, Laura Ingram from Fox News, Sean Hannity, radio host from Fox News, Michael McFaul, the Obama ambassador to Russia, the only, it looks like, uh, non-Trump-related person here, Dan Bongino, uh, Big Dan is a uh, podcaster and Fox News contributor, Ryan Savidra, who is, I, works for, I think, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer. So you've got the embassy keeping a file on Rudy Giuliani. There you go. Sebastian Gorka, a former Trump official, now a radio host. John Solomon, who has done the most in terms of independent journalism, exposing the Ukraine corruption that President Trump was concerned about. Uh, the great Lou Dobbs. Pamela Geller, a other uh, activist, conservative activist. And Sarah Carter, another journalist who's been exposing the deep state. You see her on Fox as well. And what were they monitoring their social media posts for? And these are the phrases. I want to get the words right. It was Giuliani. I'm going on memory here, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. It was Giuliani. So if the word Giuliani popped up in any social media terms, they were going to keep track of it. If the word Giuliani popped up, Soros and Biden and Yuganovich, because she had a self-interest here. So you had U.S. government resources. Imagine if you were being targeted like this. Would you want the United States government tracking to see what you were saying on social media about a government official and keeping a file as such? Of course not. And indeed, the law prohibits that from happening in most cases. Now, if you're the target of a legitimate investigation, yeah. 
but you don't get a file created on you just because a bureaucrat's nervous about her job. And I, and I, I want to say a little bit more about this. Forgive me for going off a little bit. But when I hear Ambassador Yovanovitch invoke those Benghazi deaths and the noble history of the career foreign service and how because she was fired, because the president dared to exercise his constitutional prerogatives to withdraw uh, an ambassador, how the career foreign service, their morale was low and it was terrible that it happened. Spare me. I'm sure there are, and, and of course it goes without saying, there are patriotic, honorable people who work in the State Department. As a bureaucracy generally, the career foreign service is one of the worst. She was talking about how Ambassador Stevens was a great example. A man needlessly murdered as a result of reckless activity by Obama and Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State. And then there was a massive cover-up of the circumstances of that murder, where you had the State Department and all the president's women and men out there lying about what happened, calling it a, a spontaneous demonstration in response to a video, when in fact it was a pre-planned Al-Qaeda uh, Al terrorist attack that they had tons of forewarning was going to happen. Where was the Foreign Service career bureaucrats in holding Hillary Clinton accountable? I didn't see them running to Congress to impeach her or to impeach him. And more directly on Hillary Clinton, Judicial Watch has been granted discovery where we've been gathering evidence in, case, in two cases where we've deposed Foreign Service officials and other career bureaucrats. And you know what we've seen? We've seen people who have defended the indefensible, pretended and looked the other way and ignored the corruption of Hillary Clinton's email usage and mishandling classified information and were protecting her then and are protecting her now. When you hear career foreign service, that equals deep state. It's, the, it's like the epitome of the deep state. They think they're entitled to the jobs they have. And they think that their policies, their predilections, should direct our foreign policy as opposed to, oh my Lord, the President of the United States who was elected by you, the American people. They have contempt for our elections. They have contempt for the leaders we place into office. And if they agree with them, if, if in the case of Barack Obama, it was simpatico. In the case of most Republicans, they're enemies of any Republican in the White House. Anyone who has even a, a modest conservative or uh, uh, anti-establishment approach on foreign policy. And with President Trump, it's a crisis for them because he, 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 he strikes at the heart of, of, of givens for both the Democrat and Republican establishments. So surprise, surprise, they're up in arms. And we know directly that the Foreign Service and, and career bureaucrats at the State Department, their number one goal is destroy anyone who is daring to implement President Trump's policies in any effective way. We've seen it up close. And you see this with Ambassador Yovanovitch, you know, very, you know, she's been in all sorts of dangerous places. 
she's had her life, you know, her life's been at risk. But on a politically sensitive topic, she acted like any other bureaucrat, an anti-Trump bureaucrat. You see that in her testimony. You don't believe me, watch her testimony. See how she handles the questions about the Ukrainian corruption. So what's the good news? What's the good news? Well, I'm actually cautiously, cautiously optimistic that impeachment won't get voted on by the House. They don't have the votes. I had one senior person in the, on the Hill tell me that, look, they wouldn't have had these hearings if they had the votes. They would have just gone straight to impeachment. Do you think these hearings have generated additional support for impeachment? Additional support for the coup? I don't think so. I think it's actually diminished support for the coup. To the degree there are sensible Democrats on the Hill, and yes, there are sensible Democrats on the Hill. Uh, you know, Judicial Watch is nonpartisan. There are Democrats who are well-meaning, however philosophically opposed they may be to one's conservative values. I think signing on to the impeachment was inexcusable for anyone. But it's pretty clear to me that there's probably a sizable number of Democrats who realize that Adam Schiff has been lying to them about Donald Trump. Because Adam Schiff has said repeatedly, never held accountable, he had evidence of collusion with the Russians, never showed it, never, never, it was a big lie. He never had evidence of collusion. There was no collusion. Of course, he knew that. And then now he's saying there was evidence of misconduct in this Ukraine controversy. And now it's shown to be lacking in foundation. There is no evidence of misconduct. There's evidence of his misconduct. The other irony of this whole coup cabal show trial hearing is that as President Trump is being kind of exonerated in large measure, Joe Biden is being further implicated because you had Mr. Kent on Wednesday, Ms. Um, uh, the ambassador today, Confirm and reconfirm there were concerns about Burisma and Biden in not the Trump State Department, not by Donald Trump, not by Rudy Giuliani, but by, by, by the Obama State Department and, yes, the Obama White House. They all knew about it, and it was something that made them nervous. Again, exposing why they are desperate to destroy Trump, because he's onto something. You have to remember also, Ukraine was the vehicle to try to get Trump on Russia. How do we know that? That's what the Manafort trials were about, his connections to Ukraine. He was working with pro-Russian political parties and they thought they could somehow turn him against President Trump to prove their fraud collusion theory. Or manufacture it because they would have had to rely on false testimony because there was never any evidence of collusion. We had the Associated Press launder Ukraine information to the Justice Department to try to destroy Donald Trump. How do we know that? Because Judicial Watch got the documents two weeks ago. Look at them on our website. Ukraine was the key focus of those trying to take out President Trump during the Mueller operation. But now we're not allowed to talk about any of that. In fact, we have to remove him, the left would tell us, for daring to ask questions about that 
corrupt alliance with Ukraine to try to destroy President Trump. But as I said, they, it looks like they're failing. It's important now as much as ever for you to call your elected officials, call your congressmen, call your senators, and let them know what you think about the coup targeting President Trump and you, citizen of the United States. 202-224-3121. It's 202-224-3121. Call your senators, call your congressmen, and share your views about what ought to happen next. They need to shut this down. We still don't know where the whistleblower is. We have a pretty good, do and this is, this is the dangerous part of the coup, because you think it's about President Trump. No, folks, it's about you. As a result of this coup and the political needs of the coup cabal, the big tech companies, specifically Google, YouTube, and Facebook, are censoring the name that many people think is the alleged whistleblower. I was here, yes, last week, telling you about documents we had obtained from the Obama White House visitor log database showing who this alleged whistleblower, and I don't know he was the whistleblower, but this name is associated with it. So what we did was we went back and see, well, what was he doing at the Obama? What can we figure out what he was up to? And we found that he was meeting with those Soros groups I told you about. Very involved in Ukraine. But I made the mistake of mentioning his name. And YouTube censored our video. So if I'm to say his name, this video will be taken down. Now, Judicial Watch is a big group. And there are millions of Americans whose views on a, what a public official was or was not doing and speculation about what that public official was doing. Millions of Americans are being censored as a result of pressure from Capitol Hill against YouTube and Google and Facebook and companies like that. It's the greatest censorship scandal in American history in terms of the widespread effect on the public discussion. Nothing like it ever before. No, and the government's not doing it. I don't need lectures from uh, you pretend constitutionalists who try to tell us that unless the government does it, it's not censorship. Oh yeah, it is censorship. And it's just as impactful as if the government's doing it, especially when you have people like Adam Schiff and people like Nancy Pelosi saying it's a possible violation of the law to mention his name. That's not true and making up other excuses not to mention the man's name. So we have information, and this was, this was kept from YouTube viewers, and we had to repost the video in parts to get at least the YouTube audience educated, but we had we bleeped out his name. So we got records who he's visiting with at the White House, including visits with the Soros-funded entity that released the Black Ledger targeting Manafort. Alexander, Alexandra, Chalupa, we found visited the Obama White House 27 times. That was deleted. What else was censored? I forget what other time. I, I had a nice Veteran Days message. That was censored because it was tied in because I made the mistake of mentioning Eric's, oh, I said his first name. So who knows, maybe YouTube will censor this video again. I hope you're watching it now live.
But we're not going to stop. We have FOIAs on what this person was doing. We have lawsuits on the Biden-Ukraine scandal. But it shows you how the coup targets your rights most directly. You face censorship if you mention the name of a CIA official who worked at the White House. In the, both the Obama and Trump administration, someone who was involved in Ukraine policy. Unbelievable. President still doesn't have due process rights, by the way. Still can't call any witnesses. Democrats have not allowed the Dem Republicans to call one witness. Republicans haven't been authorized to call one witness. They've asked for Hunter Biden. They asked for Joe Biden. They asked for this whistleblower, who's not a whistleblower. He's a leaker, by all accounts. So the coup crisis continues. It is suffered significant setbacks as a result of these uh, hearings that were public, and transparency is the enemy of corruption, as these hearings show. Without this transparency, we wouldn't know about the failure, in large measure, to have any evidence of misconduct by President Trump. This is what Judicial Watch is about, getting transparency on this. So uh, we'll keep on fighting for you, the American people, highlighting the corruption behind this government misconduct out of Congress and within the deep state. And uh, we'll just keep on working. We got to fight. Along those lines, we have not, and we are still getting, believe it or not, Hillary Clinton's talking about running for office again. And I don't know whether she's going to do that or not. But the, the left has this presumption that when you run for office, you're immune from investigation. Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and even if you lose running for office, even if you lose, you're then immune from investigation because you just, you know, you're no longer important, a Hillary Clinton. So Judicial Watch has been pursuing issues related to Hillary Clinton, but also indirectly, uh, we've been getting information about Hillary Clinton because of this other lawsuit we have against this... Um, I think it's the FBI Justice Department, for documents, the struck page emails. The struck page emails are, uh, and, and text messages and things like that. This is the case that the government is giving us 500 pages a month. And uh, by their lights, we will not get all the documents about the corrupt couple at the heart of various scandals that have wrecked the reputation of the FBI and Justice Department, worst scandals in American history, Spygate, all of that. Uh, the FBI is holding those documents, all of them, from being completely turned over to us until at least two years from now. We calculated it would be in November of 2022. Or 21, excuse me, 2021, two years ago. And that, frankly, then they alleged, only then could we begin to fight about the documents they haven't given us. That's Mr. Ray's FBI bot, guys. But nevertheless, we're getting these documents in dribs and drabs, and these new page-struck emails demonstrate further the corrupt FBI sham investigation into Hillary Clinton. Now, Strzok, of all people, he notes that when Hillary Clinton said the following, and there are lots of emails, there's an article that they send around it's discussed, um, and it talks about whether Hillary Clinton is telling the truth 
about emails and discussing in which, uh, and she said that uh, she never sent or received emails with material marked classified. And remember, her story changed on that. So Strzok responds by saying, in response to this email uh, article, there are three chains totaling eight or nine emails which have C, cap, uh, in parentheses, classified portion marks in front of paragraphs. Some have both C and SBU, sensitive but unclassified, which means by regulation you're not supposed to send them out, in front of different paragraphs in the same email. During a brief a, w a few weeks ago, John provided the copies of the emails in question. So they knew about, they had details that Hillary Clinton was lying publicly. And they still couldn't or refused to make an obstruction case against Hillary Clinton. Because when you come in and you protest your innocence and, quote, lack of intent, why would you allow that to go by when you have evidence that she was purposely lying about her emails? Of course, you already know that, don't you? But now we've got the proof, proof positive, proof positive, everyone, as to why the email investigation into Hillary Clinton needs to be reopened criminally. And of course, Strzok notes the corrupt tarmac meeting that took place. Remember, Bill Clinton had that meeting with Attorney General Lynch just shortly before Hillary Clinton was supposed to be questioned on a plane in the tarmac in, it was Phoenix Airport. We would never have known about it unless a local reporter figured it out, out in Phoenix. He got, a, I think, a source to tell him it happened because everyone knew it was a problem as soon as it was going on. And Strzok sends around an email, quoting a CBS news piece saying, shocking, absolutely shocking. The appearance of impropriety is just stunning. That is in Strzok's emails. That isn't what Strzok said, but that's the email story he was sharing with his colleague, Lisa Page. You also see emails here about how they are bending over backwards to take care of Hillary Clinton's witnesses that were involved in deleting emails. And uh, oh wait, I almost forgot, James Comey. James Comey. They're trying to get Hillary Clinton's pretend interview schedule. I call it pretend because they were never intent on prosecuting her, so it didn't really matter what she said. And Comey, and they talk about Comey doing it, says the boss strong desire to get this wrapped up in June. Well, you know, so much for finding out what really went on. They just wanted it done. Because, of course, Comey had already decided she wasn't going to get prosecuted. So uh, I encourage you to go to these emails, or go to the, our website and review these emails, because I can't go through them all because there are so many of them. But this is the sort of basic investigative work that only Judicial Watch is doing, uh, the media doesn't want to do. You would think there'd be more interest in this because Hillary Clinton's now a possible presidential candidate. In the meantime, we are taking discovery. Our lawyers, uh, Ramona Kotka and Warren Burke, almost uh, once or twice a week, are taking depositions of State Department officials on the Clinton email scandal because a federal judge wants to know and granted us discovery over the objections of this Justice Department, this State Department. The judge wants to know, why was she using uh, email? Was it to avoid FOIA? Why did they try to scam the court? 
or did they? Where are the missing emails? Because they could still be out there. And was Benghazi one of the reasons they wanted to cover it up? We've had confirmation on all of those points in a way that show cover-up by state, Justice Department, the Obama White House, and Hillary Clinton herself. And right now the court's deciding whether to bring Hillary Clinton in and order her to be questioned under oath directly in person by our attorneys. So once again, Judicial Watch is doing all the heavy lifting on the Clinton email scandal, which is not over. Heck, it was mentioned today, Benghazi. That was the whole basis. We wouldn't have known about it, but for Judicial Watch's Benghazi FOIA lawsuit. We wouldn't have known about the Clinton emails about it. Uh, we wouldn't have not have known about the Clinton emails, but for our Benghazi FOIA lawsuit. So another big issue that we have been pursuing, and I talked about Soros a little bit, but you should know, generally speaking, the State Department, to a degree it interferes in foreign countries, it's usually for the side of the transnational left. I mean, if, you, if, if you're a center-right or conservative government, you can almost always count that the establishment State Department, the foreign, career foreign service, are your opponents. And we've demonstrated in country after country how, at least during the Obama administration, they were working with uh, Soros-connected organizations and other left-wing groups to undermine conservative governance abroad. And in Guatemala, it's especially acute because it's in Central America that we're, as a result of that destabilization that occurs with this attack on sensible governance. And look, I'm, I'm under, under no illusion about the corruption of center-right or conservative governments in Central and South America. I understand there's corruption abroad. I do understand also that more socialism, more that this is the last big thing is more independent judicialism, judicial, uh, more independent judiciary in these countries is solution to combating corruption. Actually, it's usually the opposite. It's a vehicle for imposing socialism. I mean, just think of the left's approach to judicial issues here in the United States. They rely on judges to impose their will over the consent of the governed. And that's what they do in these other countries. It's actually even worse because the judicial function is often prosecutorial and the judges can then throw and authorize political opponents to get arrested. So in Guatemala, you had this nasty mix of the UN, the State Department, and uh, these NGOs, some of whom are uh, supported by the uh, Soros Foundations, uh, working to undermine the center-right government in Guatemala. And when you undermine the effectiveness of governments, like I said, in Guatemala, places like that, you want to know why we have caravans? And the under, under uh, you know, the UAC, the unaccompanied minor crisis, and the family units, and all the asylum craziness, the collapse of our southern border. 
it's because of the leftist attacks on these governments. And they, they essentially encourage uh, these caravans as well, which is another issue. So what we've done is we've sued for documents on Obama's and uh, Obama-UN effort to undermine elected government in Guatemala. And we're not the only ones concerned about it. Todd Robinson, who is, uh, and this is, this is typical of the State Department. Todd Robinson, Obama's former ambassador to Guatemala, is now a senior, department, a senior advisor to the State Department. And he reportedly worked with this left-wing group, this uh, UN group, again, to try to impose this left-wing agenda in Guatemala. It's called CICG, and it was, quote, uh, uh, politicizing the judiciary down there. An academic study of that group by uh, a local, I think a Guatemalan political science professor, said that CICIG, actually UN, has also been criticized for the, same, same, for the very same reasons others have praised it. Becoming a player in judicial appointments, proposing some controversial reforms to the Guatemalan Constitution, and the use of televised conferences to shift the public in its favor. From this perspective, instead of strengthening Guatemalan institutions, the Commission is making national institutions dependent on its assistance. So these nonprofits or UN-oriented groups can come in, and they don't need to have a lot of money in a place like Guatemala to have an outside influence. They control aid, they have uh, access to resources that the government and its political opponents can't ever hope to match. So that's why it's important to track what's going on here, because as we're worrying about what's going on in the United States, the left, often with your taxpayer resources, is working its will all over the world. We've uncovered how that was going on in Macedonia. You see this issue in Ukraine as well. These Soros groups supposedly are anti-corruption, but they're political players that come down on one side of the political spectrum, it looks like. Certainly they were anti-Trump, it looks like. And of course, as, as has been alleged, you had, again, a career foreign service officer who became an ambassador. Yovanovitch allegedly intervening on their behalf. So thankfully, this UN group was essentially allowed, uh, uh, was told that it couldn't stay around and its ability to function in Guatemala lapsed and wasn't renewed. But we want to know what was going on. They were doing this in Macedonia. They had the Soros groups attacking the conservative government in Hungary. It's going on in Poland. You know, Soros is a billionaire. He doesn't need our help. And if, if, if Soros was a, let's, just, let's say Soros was a, uh, let's say, let's come up with another name. John Smith, French billionaire. How would you feel if John Smith, French billionaire, came here to the United States and started subsidizing and creating groups out of whole cloth to impact public policy here? It to advance his far left views. Would you think, would you be concerned about that? Well, that's what's happening with Soros abroad. He comes in, spends his money to influence policies in other countries, subvert governments that he doesn't like. So as you might imagine, it's quite controversial. 
and that's and on top of that, these same groups that he's subsidizing, the State Department often works with and subsidizes as well. That's what we're getting at. And Soros tries to scare anyone off now from criticizing him by smearing them, suggesting they're doing it for improper reasons. Like the left, they call you names for asking questions about their conduct, but we're not stopping. I mean, we keep on suing. So uh, this is why I love Judicial Watch. We are challenging, we're keeping watch abroad, we're keeping watch here in Washington, D.C., we do litigation in the states. There's nothing like us in Washington, D.C. There's nothing like us in the United States. And dare I say it, there's nothing like Judicial Watch in the world. And for all the complaints we have about the crisis here in Washington, D.C. and the corruption here in, in, in America, it's much worse abroad. It's why we fight so strongly, because we do not want that type of corruption that we now hear about in Ukraine. Do we want that to be the everyday norm here in Washington, D.C.? Of course not. And as a conservative, I recognize that the bigger government gets, the more corruption there will be. And of course, you need more secrecy to ensure that corruption. With big government, you've got big corruption and big secrecy. It's kind of three legs of the same stool. But the glorious thing about America is that we still have uh, a significant rule of law. We still have the United States Constitution. We still have the rights, the God-given rights enshrined in that Constitution. Now they're under attack and they're always being subverted, but they allow groups like Judicial Watch to exercise our First Amendment rights, to petition our government, to exercise our rights under the law, to sue the government, hold it to account, to protect whistleblowers, get documents, those laws aren't available pretty much anywhere else in the world. So we have this precious, precious right to hold our government accountable. And dang damn it, we're going to use it. And it's always under attack. You see it with the Kukabal. They're under, they're attacking us now. They're attacking you. But you can count on Judicial Watch to stand fast on behalf of your interests, the rule of law, and the Constitution of the United States. So thank you for your support, and I'll see you next time. I guess we'll have another impeachment update next week as the hearings continue. But uh, come back to us uh, again next week with another Judicial Watch weekly update. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.